0: Live from the Wolf Construction Roofing Studio, it's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Sponsored by Wolf Construction Roofing.
1: All right, final hour of the program, battling our way through. Bit of a cold coming on, but we'll be all right. Don't worry about that because, well, if I'm gone, there's no show because Jimmy B's gone on vacation. So I'll battle. Don't worry, I'm talking to a microphone I'm not digging ditches. I'll be all right. Some news and notes. I gave you a little sprinkling as the Iowa football coaches, the offensive and defensive coordinators, Brian Ferentz and Phil Parker talking to the media and Kirk Ferentz before them. A, a couple of things. And uh, it has been a long rumored speculation. What's going to happen at the quarterback position? Kirk Ferentz said a, a couple of interesting things. First, A position change. Now, a year ago at this time, it was Ryan Boyle, the former Dowling Catholic quarterback, making the move to wide receiver. Didn't work out very well. They needed help at wide receiver. Boyle wasn't able to adjust. Wasn't on the travel team at the end of the year. Never made a dent in that rotation. This year, maybe a different one. Number three quarterback, Drew Cook. He'll be moving on and playing tight end. He's gone through about four practices now at the tight end position. So they're going to give it a shot, give it a look. He's clearly still the number three. And the thing about it, you go back to the practice at Valley Stadium a couple weeks ago. As I was watching that, Cook had really improved as a quarterback. He had a little bit of a funkiness kind of to his throwing motion, cleaned some things up there mechanically, looked a lot more sound. A lot of positives, I thought, out of Cook as a quarterback. But with that size, with that frame, and with the lineage, Marv Cook being his father, this is a move that made sense. He was still clearly behind Nathan Stanley, who is now a true sophomore in the same class as Cook, Cook a redshirt sophomore. But you couple that with Uyghurs looking like, at the very least, he's going to be sticking around here and making this a real competition. Now, the tight end position is absolutely stacked for Iowa. I mean, they got so many different weapons that they can use. We'll see if they're going to utilize them even more than we saw, not just in the Greg Davis era, but even going back to O'Keefe. I mean, we remember some of the great plays in Tony Moyaki and Dallas Clark and Brandon Myers, and you go through all the great tight ends that have gone through Iowa during the Kirk Ferentz era, but you look at the numbers, it really productive production-wise, he tried to say, hasn't been that much different. How much more involved can they get, and what are they going to get away with with the tight end? you got Noah Font, who played a year ago as a true freshman. Long ways to go as a blocker, but a physical specimen, an excellent athlete, a guy that they have big hopes for. you got the two blockers out there. Two guys that came in last year, they were road graders. They're like an extra tackle out on the outside. Peter Piccar. And Whiting, so you got those two guys. TJ Hawkinson, he'll be eligible this year after sitting out last year with a red shirt. It's a kid that can make plays. And now you add Drew Cook into the mix. And that's not even talking about John Wisniewski, who is a four-star player coming out of Darling Catholic High School, has been hurt his whole career with injuries. He's still sitting over there as well. Incredibly deep position. They got so many different ways that they can utilize it. And, and the expectation now, as we've continued to talk about, and it goes all the way back to last year, is the wide receiver position. And with Matt Vandenberg re-entering the foot, sitting out in spring, the hope is he'll be ready to go in June. He'll be able to go through workouts and do those things, but you don't know how he's going to react. You don't know what Matt Vandenberg is going to be when he comes back. Has he lost a step? Even a half step. It's a big impact. What kind of repertoire back and forth are you going to have with the quarterback whoever it proves to be, be it Wegers or be Nathan Stanley. He certainly has not gone through the number of reps that he had throughout the career with C.J. Beathard, so you lose that component. And he hasn't been able to work with them throughout this whole spring. Germanic Smith, is he even back? I remember when Iowa went out for the last time, they went to Columbus to play the Buckeyes. Jake Rudock was the quarterback, and they came out they did something that we had rarely seen before. Not goal line packages, but even when they're backed up at their own 25, they're going three tight end sets. An ability to have the power run game, and they had tight ends that could do a number of different things. A young George Kittle was involved in that. Jake Doozy. You had different guys that had different things that they were very good at, and they were able to make an impact in that game and had the league going into the fourth quarter of it in Columbus, a game where... A lot of people didn't think the Hawkeyes had any shot at all. They were able to do that. Let be see more of that this season. If the wide receiver position is as big a question mark as it looks like, and it absolutely is, they're going to need a couple of the true freshmen to come in and be ready to play. They're going to have to hope that Germanic Smith gets his academics in order. He comes back, has his head screwed on straight, and he can give them some reps. And he can double the production that we saw last year. Was it 24 catches last year? Get that up to be 48 be the number one or the number two behind Vandenberg. That's what they need. But with the tight end position, the depth of the position, and a number of guys that can do so many different things. It's not like you just got a group of 6'4", 245-pound guys that are all kind of the same. They all have different strengths and also different weaknesses. Interesting position. And Drew Cook, it's a stack position, but he's making the move. Speaking of quarterback now, with no Drew Cook, Now the question becomes, what's next? Is this Nathan Stanley's job, which it felt like to me before the year? Kirk Ferentz said today, that's not the case. In fact, him and Brian both said that this is a competition. Brian Ferentz said that nobody is separated. Kirk said that he expects this to drag on into the middle of August camp. So we're not going to have an answer of who the Iowa quarterback is going to be for 2017. The favorite still is Nathan Stanley. He's still the guy with the leg up. He's still the guy a year ago that beat out Tyler Wiegers as the backup and did it as a true freshman. So you figure he's the favorite. How big of a concern? To me, pretty big. I felt like the talk of this being a competition for the quarterback, it was because you want to keep Tyler Wiegers around. You wanted to have him be on campus and to be your backup. You want to keep him happy. It looks like there's more to it than that. Friday night, Kinnick Stadium. Keep an eye on that. Speaking of wide receivers, we were talking about Germany Smith. Brian Ferentz had this to say He's the best wide receiver this spring. And he's not a scholarship player. Nick Easley. Get from just up the road on I-80 from Newton. Went to Iowa Western, put up big numbers at the junior college level with that great, great program. He's our best wide receiver. Scary? Yeah. There's no doubt about that. We'll have some more talk about that. News and notes coming out from Iowa City in tomorrow's show. But coming up, we're going to uh, talk some college basketball. That's right basketball final four is over well we gotta look forward news yesterday grayson allen he's coming back to duke but we're gonna look at things more at a regional level what about iowa state as they look to fill the scholarships the four open ones what route do they go we talked earlier in the program about you know what they do with the four scholarships and you know for iowa state well things have changed after yesterday they were looking at Igor Kulichov. It looked like he was going to be coming in, the fifth-year grad transfer from Rice, for a visit this weekend. That's not the case anymore. He will not be here. In fact, he is committed to Florida. So now you turn your attention to Elijah Brown, a West Coast guy. A West Coast guy that you look at his other options. They're Oregon. They're Gonzaga. That, that's who they're looking at. Alstork, the kid from Wright State. What happens there? Ed Morrow. Now, he's not eligible to play next year. Remember, Ed Morrow, if he comes to Iowa State, he'll be visiting a week from, uh, in about a week and a half, visit Marquette this weekend. But he's a guy that'd have to sit out next year. Roster construction. How's it going to look? Iowa State, we just don't know. We'll also get Rob's thoughts on the Hawkeyes. We'll look around the Big Ten, the Big 12. We'll do that all next. As we continue on here, Jimmy B and TC on the Big Talker, 1700. We come to you from the Wolf Construction Roofing Studios. We'll come back in a moment.
0: 1700 KBGG is the big talker in Des Moines. With Jimmy B and TC. Noon to 3. Sports talk that rocks. 1700 KBGG. It's a family membership add-on special. It's Aspen, West Glen, Town Center, West Des Moines. At Lowe's, we know that pros depend on their tools to do more than just cut, drill, and sand. Tools help pros meet deadlines, keep promises, and protect reputations. Now through May 1st, during DeWalt days at Lowe's, pro customers can get up to 30% off select DeWalt power tools. And the only thing better than getting a tool you can depend on 100% is getting that tool for up to 30% off. Visit the pro desk or Lowe'sforPros.com for details. Excludes accessories U.S. only.
1: Back at it once again. Happy to welcome in on the Draft House 50 hotline, our man Rob Doster. You see his work at com, and he's with us here today. Uh, Rob, going to talk a little NBA draft and uh, a big decision yesterday in the national scope of things. Grayson Allen coming back, so uh, that means we get another year tripping, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, pretty much, I guess. I, uh I mean, it was a weird decision for him coming back. Did you? I, I didn't think he was. Like, I, I don't understand why he would want to go through all that again. But, um, you know, I guess, look, if you could tell me right now I can go back and have another year uh, living life in college, I think I probably would do it. And I wasn't anywhere near as big of a star on my campus as uh, Grayson Allen is on the Duke campus. So, you know, I, I at some point I guess I get it. But, you know, maybe his priorities and my priorities are different. I, I probably would have chased the money even after last season, not just after this. I I get you there, and
1: I think a lot of people kind of think the same kind of thing. But, well, where did you go? You went to D3 school, right? You played hoops?
2: Yeah, I went to Vassar College up in New York. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you weren't big man on campus there? You weren't walking around, strutting around with ladies on each arm?
2: Well, I was strutting around everywhere on campus, but there weren't ladies on any arms. We got about 12 people in every game, and 11 of them were... uh, were friends and family and, and the other one was just a guy that got lost. So it wasn't, uh, it, it was a little different than Cameron Indoor Stadium.
1: Uh, there's no doubt about that. Well, Rob, so one of the things I wanted to get into you with today here on our local scene, and I know you, know, you're, uh, you and Hines work together, so you know a lot about Iowa State, but I want to get into the Iowa Hawkeyes with you. Uh, looking at everybody's preseason top 25, the way too early top 25, it wasn't a shock that they weren't there, but then you even see a couple of brackets that people came out already. Famously here, Joe Lenardi didn't even have Iowa in his NCAA bracket. They went 10-8 and last year in the Big Ten. I know the Big Ten's going to be much improved no- next year. Fran McCaffrey, five straight years, of double-digit wins in the Big Ten. Iowa not an NCAA tournament team? I, it seems like a stretch, <laughs> at least from my vantage point.
2: You know, I think part of the problem is that, one, they didn't get a lot of buzz this year at all. You know, they ended up finishing kind of strong in the conference, probably stronger than a lot of people expected them to. But when did we ever sit there and say, like, oh, wow, Iowa's playing well, or, oh, you know, you've got to keep an eye on Iowa. Mm-hmm. It just They never got all that much attention, and they're losing Peter Jock. So when you put those two things together, it's really easy from the outside to look at it and kind of say, like, yeah, they're, you know, Iowa, whatever. Like, they're, they're an afterthought. Personally, I think that they have a lot of young pieces on that, that roster. There are a couple guys. Um, I'm blanking on What's the name of the big guy? Tyler Cook, yeah, Tyler Cook. You know they got a couple pieces like that that are coming back and should be promising. Um, And you know if they have big, uh, big sophomore years, it's kind of the thing where you don't really know what to expect from them. Um, I would not be shocked if they ended up playing their way into the tournament. I also don't think that it's something that I would bet on uh, if I were a betting man. I just I don't know. I, I think between the youth. And the fact that there's going to be some guys that are playing in different positions or different roles than they're used to playing in, I think they're probably still a year away. But I, I'll, I'll phrase it like this: I do think that there is a reason to be hopeful if you're an Iowa fan. But the combination of the fact that they got a little bit of a youth movement, and the fact that the Big Ten is going to be a little bit tougher next year than it has been in um, the last couple of seasons, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think that I would bet on Iowa making the tournament.
1: Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we get too close to the situation. You know your own guys so well, you know, here at a local level, and and you look at the landscape and the Big Ten landscape, and it really completely changed with the announcement of Miles Bridges last week that he's coming back for Michigan State. Uh, how high does that move them up right now in your estimation? Is this a top three team nationally, top five? Where are you at with the Spartans going into next year?
2: I think that you can make the argument that they're the number one team in the country. You know, I, I just. With, with what they have coming back. Nick Ward, as good as he was. Cassius Winston, uh, he, he had some promising moments as a freshman. And then Josh Langford, who also had some promising moments as a freshman. You put those guys together with Jaron Jackson, who is a perfect complement to what Nick Ward is um, at center. And, I mean, that just, that, that alone had them, with the common factor, had them in the conversation for being a top 10 to 15 team for me. And then you throw in Miles Bridges. And I think Miles Bridges has a chance to be the national player of the year next season. I just—if you look at what he did this year, he literally set a record. I don't know if you know this. Nobody in college basketball, at least in the 25 years that Basketball Reference database goes back, has ever averaged 16 points, eight boards, two assists, and 1.5 blocks in a season as a college basketball player. And Miles Bridges did just that last year. So you combine that with the fact that he's coming back again this year, and he's the perfect guy. You put him at the three. In, what, in, in the way that Tom Izzo plays, and that's kind of what he wants, right? Like, you've got this crazy athletic dude that can knock down some threes, that's going to crash the glass, going to play that kind of like Lamar Morgan kind of role, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's more skilled than Brandon Dawson was. Part, everyone thought Brandon Dawson was going to eventually be that guy. Brandon Dawson never had the perimeter ability that, uh, that Miles Bridges has. So I think that you're looking at a situation where a team that we thought that was going to be a top, 10 to 15 team heading into next season just out of the guy that's going to be probably a consensus first-team preseason All-American. And to me, throw that in with the fact that they have Tom Mizzle, and I think you can make the argument that this team, more than just about any other team uh, that Tom Mizzle has coached since he won the national title in 1999, I think this team might have the best chance to give Tom Mizzle his second national title. It's interesting. Like I I think it was my buddy Graham Couch who writes for the, I I want to say the Lansing State Journal Mm -hmm. about Forgetting that, I'm sorry, Graham, but um, he wrote a, an interesting column where like, as good as Tom Mizzle has been and as much success as he's had in the NCAA tournament, this is one of just like three or four seasons where at the start of the year, you look at the roster that Tom Mizzle has and you say, okay, that team can win the national title. In 2010, it was one of them. That was the Kalen Lucas year. That was just a complete disaster. In 2014, it was the Adrian Payne team, which looked like a team that could win a national title until... Uh, Keith Apley had that wrist injury, lost all his confidence, and they ended up losing to, I think they were a four seed and they lost to UConn in the Elite Eight that year, right? And in 2016, obviously, uh, the Denzel Valentine team um, that got upset by Middle Tennessee State. I don't want to trigger any Michigan State fans that might be listening, so I won't talk too much about it, but uh, I, I think that this team right here might be the one that has the best chance, you know? So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in Michigan State this year for a couple of reasons. I, I mean, look, Part of the reason, you know, there's part of the reason Miles Bridges was so good last season is because they were able to play him against college power forwards. Mm -hmm. And college power forwards had absolutely no chance to stop Miles Bridges. What's going to happen when they have to play him against college small forwards? That's a little bit different. He's not going to be able to, he's not going to be that much quicker than them. But given that they also have Nick Ward and Jaron Jackson on the floor, he's not going to be able to have as much space, so. It's going to be interesting to see how it ends up turning out, but I just I think Miles Bridges is phenomenal. I think he's going to have a great year And Michigan State. For me, is right there in the conversation right now with Arizona and uh, and Louisville as being the top team in the country.
1: Rob Doster, NBC Sports, with us on the Draft House Fifty Hotline, talking some college buckets here. We'll get into the draft in a moment. Uh, one more on the Big Ten. I You look at Minnesota and Northwestern, two teams you had in your early top 25. They're going to be there, return a ton of talent on both sides. But now two coaching staffs for the first time in their careers that are going to be going through and having real expectations on them. How big of an impact is that, and how different is that in your mind for a coaching staff from last year surprising everybody, making those runs, getting into the tournament, to now where people say, hey, you guys need to be top three, four teams in the Big Ten?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little less on the coaching staff and more on the players. You know, the part of the reason that I think Northwestern had all their issues before this, like they had teams that probably should have been an NCAA tournament team before this, right? But they were one of those teams where it's just kind of you, you almost expected them to lose. Like instead of being able to sit there and say, Okay, how are we gonna end up figuring out how to win this game? If you were watching it, you were just kinda of like, All right, man, how is Northwestern gonna end up blowing this one? It was like before the Red Sox won their first real world series. Every time you saw the Red Sox play in the World Series, every time you saw them get a lead, every time you saw something good happen to them, we were just kind of waiting, all right, so when's the other shoe going to drop? And that's what I think we all felt about Northwestern before this season, or before last season. so uh, dealing with those expectations and being a team that, that somebody's going to be gunning for instead of being the team that guns for someone else, it's a little bit of an adjustment for the players on the floor, and, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. As far as Minnesota is concerned, I mean, I don't know, man. Those those dudes are tough. Mm-hmm. I, they have great guards. I love Nate Mason. Um, so I, I, I think that they're going to be really, really good. And for my money, if Michigan State hadn't gotten Miles Bridges back, I think you could have made a really strong argument that Minnesota would have been the best team in the uh, in the Big Ten, which, I mean, think about that. Richard Petino almost got fired before last season. Right. And a year later, he might have the best team in the Big Ten. Hey. Must be nice to be a Patino, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and he's uh, get get a little bit of help. Love the story of uh, the kid transferring in from his dad's uh, school going to Minnesota. Don't see that one happening very often.
2: <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty funny. I don't I don't think I can ever remember that. Here's my question: Do you think that that was Matt Stockman saying, "Hey, you know what? I want to uh, I want to transfer a go to a different school," <laughs> or do you think Richard was like, "Hey, look, I need some front court help, pops. Why don't you send that kid on down to me."
1: I, I, I'm gonna guess it's the latter. I, that's what I'm gonna say. Help me out, Dad. You get you got a stack team coming back. As long as uh, you get uh, what is it? Malik Williams is he still uh, looking through the draft process? Is that right?
2: Uh, Donovan Mitchell is. Malik Williams is there the freshman go. they got coming in. Yeah, but Donovan Mitchell. I don't know. It's gonna be he's, to me. That is probably the most important draft decision left. With with Nigel Williams-Goss gone and Grayson Allen coming back, I think that he's probably the most important decision left you agree?
1: Yeah. I. You you combine Purdue for me just because it's two guys. It's Swanigan and Haas kind of together. I, that might be a little bit bigger. But Purdue with those guys back is still kind of what they are this year, right? I mean, P.J. Thompson's fine. He, he doesn't wow you any means. Uh, Matthias can get hot, but he's another guy. They're top 15 good with those guys back, maybe top 10 good, but maybe not elite level, and that's what Louisville will be. I mean, national championship contender. Even with those guys back, I guess I don't see Purdue in that spot.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think they would be, but I'm just kind of of the assumption that Caleb Swanigan's gone. Like, I don't, yeah. I know he hasn't signed with an agent yet, but I just, I think that he's probably going to end up going. Like, cause how much better is he going to get for him? You know, what can right. he do right. next year that would help him out in terms of his draft stock? Maybe make a run of the tournament, but, like, literally he can't do anything better than he did this year as a basketball player. Maybe get a little bit better defensively. But, like, I mean, it's not like his body's going to get any better. The dude lost, like, 100 pounds, mm-hmm. you know? And he's, built, like, he's literally, I don't think he has an ounce of fat in his body. Like, that dude is solid as a rock. And he's never going to be quick, and he's never going to be all that fast. And he kind of just is what he is as an athlete and is what he is as a defender. So, you know, I just, I don't see any upside for him returning to school. So I'm kind of above the assumption that he's probably going to end up going pro.
1: Rob, let's jump over to the Big 12 quickly. Kansas, uh, you got to put them in the top spot. doesn't matter you know, what they lose, and they lose quite a bit again this year. They'll be in that top stop spot in the Big 12. What else do you like? I, I know you have Baylor up there. The Motley decision still looms. West Virginia, I think, should be very good. And, and here locally, Iowa State, they still got four open scholarships here, and so much is going to depend on how that roster shakes out, kind of figuring where the Cyclones are going to fit in. But at the top level after Kansas, who do you like?
2: Oh man, it's, uh, I mean, it's gotta be Baylor at this point, right? Like, it's gotta be them for the second best team in the conference, but even if they end up losing Jonathan Motley, like, just how good is that team gonna be? Like, Motley was so important to what they did last year, and I know they got LeComp from a brat back, and I know they got some of the guards coming back, and I, I think that, uh, the wall of will probably end up being a little bit better next year yeah. when he doesn't have Motley alongside him, but I'm just not, I'm not convinced that they have enough on that roster. Uh, to really contend. West Virginia is going to be really good. At this point, I think that I'm going to kind of like just lump West Virginia in with those teams like Notre Dame and Wisconsin where you kind of don't even really need to know the names on their roster, right? You just kind of got to look at them and say, okay, this team is coached by Bobby Huggins. The same way you look at Notre Dame and say, okay, this team is coached by Mike Bray. You look at Wisconsin and say, okay, that team is coached or was coached by Bo Ryan. We're just going to assume they're going to be – Really, really good. We don't really care who it's going to be on the roster, so let's just stick them somewhere in the top twenty and see how it works out.
1: Rob, uh, let's so I, yeah,
2: go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just saying. So, I, I just I, I'm expecting big things out of them next year, just because at this point, like with the way that that system works and the way that Bob Huggins coaches his team, it's kind of stupid to assume otherwise.
1: Let's jump into the draft here: Markel Fultz, Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball. Who do you want there at the top? Do you go with a true point guard, if you will, and Aaron Fox? Uh, the freshman class, it is ridiculous. I saw, was it NBA DraftNet, I think had the first 11 picks all being freshmen. Uh, this class is ridiculously good. Who do you like in that top spot, though? Taking sight on C, not ho- knowing who has the top pick, who would you be targeting?
2: Uh, most of the experts to tell you that it's Markel Fultz. I'm kind of worried about taking a guy that um, never came close to winning at the college level. I love Josh Jackson. I yeah. love what he can do. I think that uh he i'd make the argument i don't know if he'll end up being the best player out of this draft, but I think either he or Lonzo Ball would be the most successful player out of this draft in terms of you know the numbers they put up and the teams that they play on and how much they end up winning like I would not be shocked to see a situation where like Markel Fultz kind of ends up playing a role similar to like maybe like a John Wall where he always puts up these numbers and everyone's always talking about how good he is, and yet you never see him doing anything uh in the playoffs, beyond like getting knocked out earlier than you might expect him to be able to get knocked out. So, um, I mean, just with everything between Josh Jackson's playmaking, his defense, the rebounding, the, the the shot blocking, the fact that he's more developed as a shooter than anyone anyone realizes, the competitiveness. He's a six foot eight. You know what he is? He's everything that we wanted. Uh, Andrew Wiggins to be, and I think he might end up being a better offensive player than Andrew Wiggins. And Look at what Andrew Wiggins is doing
1: right now. Right, right. He's putting up over 20 a game with the t Wolves. You know, Jackson, for me, I, I read something interesting a week or two ago, and it was Bill Self talking about him and, and the funkiness of his shot, and that's another thing people talk about with Lonzo Ball. You know, he came in there and they said, we're not going to fix it. We're not going to try to fix it right now. We're going to work with what you're doing with skill-wise and develop it that way. When you get to the NBA after a year here, that's when you can work on it. There I feel like there is so much more upside still left than Josh Jackson. He's six eight. he's long, he's a good defender, he's all these things. If you're talking about a superstar, I'm not sure about Markel Fultz. Josh Jackson, I think, could get to that level.
2: Yeah, I think he could, too. Um, I think Lonzo Ball can get to that level as well. I think that Martel Fultz can get to that level. It's just, I think it's going to end up coming down to team needs, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're the Celtics, I think you can probably end up taking Martel Fultz because you have enough guys like Josh Jackson. Yeah, you need that kind of like big star go-to point guard. They have guys. I know that Marco, Marcus Smart isn't the same size. I know Avery I- I- Bradley isn't the same size. But you already have those kind of tough physical defenders that. Uh, you can can kind of ask not to have to shoot and can do other things on the floor. So I think that if you're the Celtics, you go with Marco Fultz. But after that, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, it would be fascinating though if the Celtics end up do getting the next two number one picks. They could get the uh, the two guys. They could get Lorenzo Romar's guys, right?
1: <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's the way to Maybe do. Maybe
2: Brad Stevens needs to hire him as an assistant <laughs> away from Arizona.
1: That works. It works very well. We've seen that work out very well. Hey, uh, Rob, uh, last thing for you with the NBA draft. Peter Jock from Iowa, Monte Morris of Iowa State. Uh, Those two guys, your thoughts on them at the next level? Second round looks to be the spot for Monte Morris. Some people think that Jock maybe can sneak in there. I, I personally don't see it. I think as great of a shooter as he is, there's a lot more to his game that needs to be working on. But just your overview of those two guys at the next level.
2: I don't know if Jock's going to end up getting drafted, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him end up in the NBA at some point. Um, uh, Shooting is at such a premium in the league. When you can make shots the way that he can make shots, I think that you always have a chance to make it. Uh, As far as Monte Morris is concerned, I kind of, you know, look, Fred VanVleet's in the NBA because he's just like a really, really good solid point guard. TJ McCullough's in the NBA for the same reason. I think Monte Morris is better than them. They're that same style of player. So I I would be shocked if he ended up being a first-round pick. Um, but, you know, he's a very, very good possession point guard, and he can make threes, he doesn't turn the ball over, he's a good locker room presence, so he's going to end up getting drafted in the second round, and I would not be surprised to see him hang around the NBA for five, six, seven years.
1: Yeah, he's your prototypical, you know, two guard, that backup point guard, if you will, That's going to sit in there. He's not going to hurt you. He's going to do everything that you asked of him. I think he's a perfect fit for a lot of teams, and you're looking for a guy to take that role in the second round. Absolutely. I think Monte Morris is your guy that you're looking at. Rob, good catching up with you as always. Uh, D.C. Hoops going on, and that bracket's opening up for your
2: Wizards. Yeah, man, I think they're going to be all right. We've got to see what John Wall and Brad Beal can do, but I think they're going to be all right. (laughs) I think they got a shot at
1: this one. All right. Good talking with you again, Rob. We'll do it here a few times, I'm sure, uh, leading up to the NBA draft. Always appreciate your time.
2: Always a pleasure, man. Take care.
1: That's Rob Doster, NBCSports.com, college basketball talk, with us on the Draft House 50 hotline. We'll come back, put a cap on things on the other side. Jimmy B and T.C., Live from the Wolf Construction Roofing Studios, we're back in a moment. All right, back one final time here, putting a cap on things, Jimmy B and TC on the Big Talker 1700. Glad to have you with us. As always, uh, a busy time of year. The local scene, we talked a lot about Iowa Iowa State, the future of that rivalry, uh, what's going to happen going forward after the new extension announced yesterday. Uh, Right, in fact, towards the end of our show yesterday is one that came out, and uh, with it, a possibility of what's going to happen, you know, into the future. After this deal finishes up 2023, are we going to see the respite from the series that I've been asking for that I, I think would be a good compromise for both sides? It, It's a game that is always great here, and the importance of it to Central Iowa, I understand. But I think the realization, and for a lot of Iowa State fans, having to understand that, this rivalry, it is different in Iowa City. And I say that as somebody that lived in Iowa City, lived in Eastern Iowa for a number of years. I know the differences and, and the different way that it's looked at over there. And I was there during the run of five consecutive victories from Iowa State after they break the, break the streak in 1998. I saw that obviously it was a game that I was always wanted to win and, and the importance of it to get a victory and beat your in-state rival. But for Iowa, and you have the national people, you know the Colin Cowherds of the world are going out and disparaging the non conference schedule. Well, that comes back to Iowa State. you know if Iowa State was a consistent winner, if Iowa State year after year was at the very least a bowl team now here's a big difference when you're trying to you know compare apples and oranges of what happens. You look at georgia georgia tech s e c versus a c c schools they played at the end of the season their rivalry game, but remember. Both the ACC and the SEC only play eight conference games. That allows for more wiggle room. Go through and look at other schools that are not in the same conference but do play a rivalry game. Florida-Florida State, same thing. SEC versus ACC. Uh, Clemson against South Carolina, same matchup there. You know, you have these, and they have more wiggle room, much like Iowa did before. They went to nine conference games when you have four non-conference games. It's put Iowa in a bind, and what we know now, through at the very least 2019, Iowa will never again play a non-conference game outside of the state of Iowa. It is going to be Iowa State and two opponents that you bring in by games. Two opponents. That is it. That's what you have, and that's the disappointing aspect I know for a lot of Hawkeye fans out there. You want something else. You want something different. You want to see... Not even a big-name opponent. It doesn't have to be Alabama, Florida State. It doesn't have to be a program like that. But those games, Arizona, Arizona State, they're fun. Tons of Hawkeye fans made the trek. Syracuse, huge crowd. The Syracuse isn't a name-brand program anymore. They haven't been nationally relevant since Donovan McNabb was there in the late 90s. But that was a game that people headed out to. It wasn't New York City. It was upstate New York. And people were excited to go with that one. Pittsburgh, you saw the people that traveled for that one. You go through, and it doesn't have to be an elite-level opponent, but give them something different. And right now, they are backed into a corner. The idea that I have, I I think it it makes so much sense for both sides. Iowa State can schedule the way that they want and the tears that it happens. If you missed it, it's as simple as this. After 2023, you take a two-year break. The series isn't going away. The series isn't disappearing. You're not running and hiding in whatever theory you're going to throw out there. It's a hiatus. It will come back. You take those two years off. During that time, Iowa plays a home-and-home. Iowa State can either pick up another home-and-home or, if they would like, schedule another bye game for them. Schedule another victory. Whatever both schools want to do. And look at it this way. Now, there's, there's plenty of people out there that say, well, who, who would schedule a home-and-home home with Iowa? Who would schedule a home-and-home home with the Hawkeyes? Well, let's just take a look at some of the national programs. Let's take a look at some of the big-name programs and who they have home-and-homes with coming up. How about Oklahoma? You know who they have a home-and-home home with? You're not going to believe this. Now, they got some great ones in there. We know Nebraska Way in the Future is coming back. they got LSU. You also have a road game at Temple, at Army, at Tulane. This is Oklahoma that's doing this. Here's another one for you. Auburn, what a recent national championship, certainly a name program nationally. A home and home at Jordan-Hare, that'd be great. Oh, Auburn would never sign up for a series with Iowa. Well, they just signed one to play against Cal at the Golden Bears. Haven't been very good. If Cal can get an opponent like that, certainly Iowa can. And just in the Big Ten, Indiana's got a home-and-home coming up with Louisville. Minnesota has a home-and-home coming up. they got a couple of them. Mississippi State in the future. They play a home-and-home with Mississippi State. They play a home-and-home Colorado. Maryland has Virginia Tech a home-and-home. Rutgers has a home-and-home with UCLA. Rutgers has a home-and-home with UCLA and with Virginia Tech. If programs like that can get home-and-homes like that, certainly Iowa could find something in those two years. So that argument, it doesn't carry any weight with me. You can find a nationally relevant program to play a home-and-home home with Iowa. A little TV talk to finish things up here. What's uh, going on tonight? Looking forward to what uh, should be another entertaining night. You know, uh, you go through and you take a peek At the NBA. And last night, after what the Bulls did, we've talked about that today, and great to see a a bit of a smile on Fred Hoiberg's face afterwards. And I just listened to him talk in the post-game press conference. That team now up 2-0 in the series as it goes back to Chicago. This team was inconsistent all throughout the year. But what Fred Hoiberg has done going through and... You know, a team that was built so poorly. I mean, the construction of this team with Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and, and those guys that just don't fit the system, the way that Fred Hoiberg wants to play the game and be able to, at the very least, manipulate it at the end of the year and get them into the playoffs, and then this, it's incredible. And, you know, the Isaiah Thomas portion of it, it's difficult. It really is. And it's not certainly the impact Isaiah Thomas Losing his sister in that fashion—it's difficult. But think of the teammates too. I mean, I think people are are forgetting that portion of it. His teammates and, and the thought process for them, and we're still talking about young adults here, and what what could be going through their minds? It's it's difficult to talk about because you're melding the world of sports with real life, with tragedy, with death. It, it's incredibly difficult. And you want to be cautious in in what you say here, but you wonder, the team as a whole, not just Isaiah Thomas, we all get that, we all understand that, but even a little bit different. The NBA, good last night, a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. I'll be watching it again tonight. Finally getting into it, the NHL has been a disappointment. We get Oklahoma City and Houston, game number two. Told told you guys yesterday I'll be watching James Harden a little bit more. I just, as I was telling Wolfgang yesterday, I don't like his game. I don't like the way that he plays, the herky-jerky, the jumping into guys, draw and follow. Oh, what a great play that is. It's not for me. It's not for me. I I don't enjoy it. I'll give it another shot tonight. I'll give it another chance. Uh, We'll see. We'll see if I can come around on that one. We get to game two of Portland Golden State late tonight. That'll be a good one. Atlanta, Washington over on the NBA NHL playoffs tonight. It is do or die for the Minnesota Wild in St. Louis. Game four there. The Blues, of course, out to that 3 0 lead. Maybe a last grass for the uh, Wild. We'll see if they can, at the very least, win a game and start to mount a little bit of pressure against the Blues. Uh, a roster that certainly is better than the Blues. And I've outplayed them. Outplayed them in game number one. Nothing to show for it. And the momentum shifted. And from there, well, we've seen what happened. And, and certainly, you know, with, with what the Blues have been able to do with Jake Allen. Uh, That guy has been ridiculous standing on his head. Devin Dubnik throughout the year, he was better. He was better. But it's a short series, and as we know, anything can happen. So you got that happening in hockey tonight. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that one. Then over to a little baseball. Had a lot of day baseball today, but keep an eye on the Twins tonight. They're going the wrong way. Uh, My excitement of the first week of the season starting to dissipate quite a bit. The White Sox and Yankees, Game 3 of that series. Be keeping an eye on that one as well as we continue on with baseball. And and the Royals get to see Madison Bumgarner. That is, anytime you have an opportunity to watch Mad Bum go out there and do his thing, uh, appointment television certainly for me, and I'm looking forward to that one with Madison Bumgarner against Jason Vargas tonight, who's been really good uh, for the Royals. So, a busy night of sports. The Clicker will get a workout. And if you're uh, looking to get all the sports channels, give Rockstar Satellite a call. Chris Brennick and the crew over there, they will get you hooked up. Got the sports pack myself. It is absolutely necessary. If you're a sport nut like I am, Rockstar Satellite. Those guys will hook you up and do a great job over there. That'll do it for the show today. Be back at it tomorrow at noon. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here today. Busy show, podcast up 24-7 over at 1700kbgg.com. You can find us over there each and every day. You miss a portion, got a busy meeting, whatever it might be at work, you can go back, listen to all our great guests that we had, Rob Howe today, John Walters, the Vice of the Cyclones, talked a lot of local, talk some national from WEI. Alex Reimer was in to talk about Aaron Hernandez, and boy, what a way to wake up this morning. Thanks, everybody out there once again for listening in. Tomorrow at noon, back at it, solo edition. They continue here for about another week. Jimmy B says he'll be back late next week. Till then, you got to put up with me. Have a good day, everybody.